joining us today for L4, Living Long, Living Loud, an inspiring community for 50 Up Women. I'm Dr. Hughes, and today we are talking to Sally Aldridge about art. Sally is a potter and painter who has been active in the art community in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and Westchester, New York. Make sure you hang out after our interview for our Blitz 5 Live. Sally, I'm so glad we can be together here on this beautiful spring day to talk me, about me art. Me too, me too. Thank you. You were born into an artistic family and experienced art as a child. Can you tell us more about your mother and family and how they influenced you as an artist? Well, I was the youngest of three daughters. There was 10 years between me and the middle daughter. And um, when my daughters went off, to, when my sisters went off to Smith, it was just mother and me. And I think I became from the age of six, her uh, little student in piano. And she had me playing Bach pretty soon. And by the time I was 10, I was playing a lot of fun music. But my mother was also a painter. So she would often have somebody at the house that was posing for her. She worked in oils. She'd gone to the Art Students League in New York. So I began painting with her as well. So by the time I got to college, I wasn't sure which. I felt I was leaning in the direction of art. And after the first semester, I knew that I was going to go into painting. I had a wonderful professor, Dick Lacocious, who favored expanding yourself, going to museums, just getting more modern and modern in your thinking, in your taste. And he was a great influence on my life. And you had mentioned earlier a trip that your mother took to Paris and learned about art there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Right. Well, it was after World War One, in the late 20s. And my mother and grandmother, whom I never knew, went to Paris together. And they went and they studied painting. And they also, while they were in Paris, met this young Scotsman called Cecil Scott, who began hanging out with them. And apparently, he and my mother exchanged letters. And unbeknownst to his mother, he bought a steerage ticket to come to America. And she found it in his bed and exchanged it for cabin class. She was that kind of a woman. I never knew my grandmother such, but I grew in a house with a literary father and, a, and an artistic mother. And it was, it was wonderful, you know, you had your moments, of course, but I was a, a very engaging household. My mother would always take me to the Museum of Modern Art and take a day off from school and do something like that. So later in life, when I became a teacher to support myself, I also began taking kids to the city and trying to have these cultural trips for them. Well, that sounds like a wonderful way to start learning about uh, different techniques and being able to have that exposure to learn from world master uh, artists even right. at a very young age right and you mentioned um, that you had uh, taken a trip over to paris yourself when you were a young woman and do you have thoughts you want to share with us today sure. about how that influenced right. your, your art well i graduated from connecticut in june of 62 with a ba in, in painting bfa and I had a younger freshman sister who had planned this fabulous trip to Europe. And I just knew, I happened to also come into a, some money from one of my father's, Cecil Scott's, British relatives, that I just said to my parents, look, I'm going to Europe. So I took off with Marie and we left in June and, and we were going really till mid-September. 
we flew into London and then within a day or two, we would cross the channel and went to Paris. And in those days, we stayed in the Grand Hotel du Louvre and it was $25 a night, I think in the 60s. So we're right next to the Louvre and it was just fabulous. So we had two weeks in Paris, kind of trying different foods, trying to experiment ourselves with some drawing. And then we went to the south of France. And that was a curious thing there because in one of those uh, distant towns, we, there was this wonderful large sculpture of a, of a goddess who was a kind of an unpopular Protestant figure. And my, my grandmother had been that kind of a person herself. So it was sort of interesting. It sort of felt like coming home to see yes. her. And then we went to Rome and in Rome, then we saw went to Firenze. Then we actually decided not to go to Sicily, but we took, we flew to Athens and that was staggering to walk upon, you know, the Parthenon. And there was just always this wonderful little luncheon place where you could just eat outdoors. It was fabulous. And I just, you know, and the statuary and everything was just fabulous. So then Maria also had planned on her itinerary, which would now was mine. You know, we went to uh, some of the islands and then came back and went back a little bit through Italy and then into Vienna where we, so I, I told you what we saw Flayed Mouse. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to leap off the stage. It was so exciting to be in a big theater like that. And back up to Holland, the Netherlands, and back, and then we had a week in London. We flew across to London, and we, I remember going through Churchill's old buildings and his office. And uh, then I was also in a position to connect with some of my British relatives for the first time. Some of them I knew. There was a wonderful cousin who was a doctor, Cambridge graduate, with an outrageous wife, Audrey. They had visited us in America. They were like in the Midlands. And then I had my uncle Leslie, who was my father's older brother, and they had my father's family had served in China. I think my grandfather was one of the head chairmen of the British congregation there. And, but the Edinburgh festival was on. So I went to see Uncle Leslie and he was very, very difficult, but charming in his own funny way to get along with. And that was kind of wonderful to connect with them before coming back to America. So I felt that the European trip was just kind of just so opening of who I was. And I think it influenced me in my art too. I didn't. And you were, you were able to see a lot of different types of art, Absolutely. a range of forms from painting to sculpture exactly. and architecture. And right. It was fabulous, you know. And as an American, you know, when you're in Europe and most of us or a number of us in this country have European heritage. And it's, it's, I thought it was very powerful to get in touch with that. And I know you also, after uh, you had taken this trip and when you started working, uh, you mentioned that you had been teaching, and I know you were teaching art uh, to young students, uh, I believe middle school and high right. school students. Right. And you yeah, mentioned how it. that was also very opening oh, as it well. Was. It was. Exactly. Before. exactly. Um, how do you think that helped your art um, be, by being able to be exposed to, wow. to a wide variety of disciplines? Was right. That, helping in maybe form or what, what are your thoughts? Wow. Well, I mean, I was asked to lead the clay program. And then of course, it's very hard once you start getting your hands in clay, not to get involved. And there's a lot to learn, but I, um, I became a clay artist and a member at Clay Art Center as well. It was, it's wonderful. And 
since I've retired, I've, I've also taught at our local Boys and Girls Club here up in Ridgefield, Connecticut. But I, I think every new experience you have in your field broadens you and you open your mind more and you're a little bit more flexible about who you are. So I've never regretted having to have these different changes. I've, I've enjoyed them. Yeah. It's been and a rich life. I think you had mentioned to me earlier that you felt you also learned from the students as um, well as the teachers. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was really impressed with certain people were so disciplined and you could see they had this great talent. So eventually my, my own son was at John Jay High School in Katona and he was in the advanced placement program. So I approached my boss and said, we have advanced placement in chemistry and in history, let's have an art advanced placement program. And that was the most rewarding of all to be with people who were emerging as adults, really seriously, you know, trained and doing, building this huge portfolio. Wonderful. So yeah. and they were, I'm sure they were very motivated to learn new things for their own uh, career. Sure. Art. Yeah. Sure. Now, I know you mentioned uh, just now, you mentioned that you had a son and that you had been married. How did you find uh, balancing your art with your family and, and the other aspects of your life? Not easy, but you, you have to, you know, your family really is your most important thing. So figuring out how to still allow time for yourself to be involved. You're going to be a happier person if you can pursue your true love, whatever it is, sewing, making clay, painting, and, and yet you've got the priority of your family. I just seem, I think they be, seem to be lucky. I mean, both my daughter and son were interested in a lot of the things that I was interested in. We had a piano, they each took lessons, they each, they were each athletic and they were, and they were both interested in art. So they, because we're the same genes, maybe that has something to do with it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's so nice to hear how the artists continued from generation to generation with right. your family. Yeah. And I think uh, having that from an early age uh, must have been helpful and, you know, freeing yes. for trying and experimenting with their talent. Yeah, it's true. Yes, my son definitely became an artist. He's also a musician. He plays a guitar and he's in a group. Now my daughter, less so. I was, I was also going to ask, I know you studied with a number of different artists and can you talk to us about what it was like studying with them? Maybe how did you meet them or how did you find, find them so that you could study with them? I know at one point you had mentioned uh, working in studios and that could, could potentially right. help. Right. Well, I've been a member of the Katona Museum and the Richfield Guild of Artists. And through that, I've become parts of different communities. And uh, a woman named Benice Horowitz, who's quite well known, and I mean, in, in America, in New York area, as a painter, I got to know her and I spent about three or four years painting with her off and on. She has a Monday group. And um, so I've, I've, it's, and, and in fact, you are in that person's studio and you're hearing their language and they're giving you new ideas and you resist some, and others you tackle, but uh, it's you're right. It's a very enriching process to open yourself to other people. Now, I know you studied uh, Raku, for example, and oh, right. that's and uh, you know your pieces are so beautiful. And I know that you have learned some of those techniques. Right. Uh, do you have any stories you could share with us about 
uh, learning, uh, you know, working with someone and learning uh, right. the type of technique. Right. Well, that cat over there is Raku with us. Well, first of all, through people at Play Art Center, I got to meet this wonderful guy, Michael Fowler, and he had his own Raku studio at home in uh, southern Westchester. So if I'm going to be doing a Raku firing, and first of all, I don't see any point in doing things like bowls because you cannot eat out of something like that. It's low fire. Okay. So to, for me, it was ideal for sculpture. So I've done a lot of animal sculpture and, uh, and it has to be very hollow. You've got to, you know, from top to bottom, you've got to be able to get your, not your hand through, but your air through has to circulate or you'll have an explosion. So it's careful. So after building it, then I have a, I now have a kiln downstairs. You fire them. That's the bisque fire. That's the first firing. Then raku fire is actually done outdoors. So you have an outdoor kiln, like a scut kiln, where you take the insides out pretty much. So you can then arrange your own shelving any way you want it. And you can fire it instead of as, as an electric kiln. If you have a dead one or an old one as a raku, you can just light the fire and start it that way. So it's tricky. You have them in for a certain amount of time. And then you have to take them out with tongs, which is tough. And you've got this huge thing and you're bringing them over and you spray water on them. And then you kind of put them in a bag of torn paper and a little bit of sawdust. And they get this kind of slightly messy outside on the top. But that is called reduction. And, it's, and it kind of makes the colors change. So you just let they sit that there for a while. It's complex. And then you take the piece out and you scrub it like mad and you decide Oh, that's wonderful, or maybe not quite so wonderful, but it's a fun experience. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could give our listeners some advice for someone who's new to art, because I know you have the experience of both teaching the art and doing it yourself. If someone is new, how do you recommend that they get started in art and uh, building themselves up as an artist? Oh, I think if you're new, I think you should take some classes. And most towns have an art center or an, uh, an adult education center where you hopefully could find a class. I mean, even if you start just by sketching, you know, see if you really love it and kind of keep developing. And then maybe after doing some sketching, things get a little more complex. Maybe take a class where you're working with a new figure. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than painting the figure and trying to really balance that. And... If that works for you, well, then, you know, maybe you want to expand and try doing some painting. You know, you're going to do watercolor. It seems easy. People think it is it's the most difficult medium. You have to be very fresh. You have to be very spontaneous. Acrylics are actually easier. And the oil is, again, difficult, but fun. My mother always painted with oil, so I know how you get it all over everything. But I think classes, doing classes... You know, go to an art center, depending where you live, I'm sure you can find it. Or even a local museum will offer classes. You can become part of a community that way. And, 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 grow, and, you, and you grow as you study. It's like with anything. If you want to learn how to be a, a race car driver, well, you better catch yourself a good car and you better study. Absolutely. And drive. <laughs> okay, right. Yes. And um, this is our, our last question for the day, how do you share your artwork with a broader community? Well, I try to be active in a couple of local, you know, art, art studios or music. Like if there's a local museum, the town I live in, 
has a wonderful museum, the Katona Museum. And in fact, when I was teaching high school and my kids and my own children were in the advanced placement program, they had a senior exhibit every year for the senior class who were the art majors, you know, so I'm bringing that up is because that's a way to be involved with the community and to get into different places to exhibit. Um, I know some of these groups have uh, exhibits in local shops so they, yes. they can bring the community in in a more comprehensive way. They're bringing all the, the whole town together right. to share in the art. And um, you participated in some of these exhibits. Um, do you have any advice for people or thought or stories that you want to share about uh, how you worked with these different groups in um, you know, putting it putting it out there so right. that people can see? I think shop, you know, yes, if there's a local shop that takes local art, yes, that's a nice way, but it's a slower way than I think. I mean, for instance, the Ridgefield Guild of Artists, several times a year will have a gilded, if you're a member, gilded member show. So you've got to learn to photograph your work. You can't get it out there really without, and you've got to have a very well-written resume and an artist statement. You've got to appear professional. So yeah. you can't just go in with a group of photographs, you know, have them very cleanly done and printed. And because that's what's going to make you look good and yeah. it's going to make you look professional. Yes, I like that because I think uh, people focus so much on the actual art itself that um, many people may not even think about uh, that aspect. And that, in, as you're saying, the professional aspect, which is common to many different disciplines. Right. And, uh, and yet it's still an important part of being an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners today? Well, I just say, enjoy yourself. If you think you want to learn, don't hesitate. Get yourself involved. And, and once you start to feel some success, get involved with a community group where you can start to show your work. That's the best way. Churches often will have a shows for people. But unless you're very active in it and you know everybody, the chances are that's not going to affect you. Well, thank you very much, Sally. Well, thank it's, you. It's been so inspiring talking to oh, you. Oh, it's been today. wonderful talking with you. I yeah. love it. Thank love you. It. Thank you. You're uh, terrific. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, and I really enjoy hearing how passionate you are about your, your art and your pottery and paintings. And it just really inspires me to work on my own creativity and, and find something. Well, I'm right now in a period where you know, garden, well, a, a, a lot of the creativity is going into the garden or just coming into a new house and settling into it. And um, so it, it's, it's, it's harder for me to allow two hours a day just to work on my own stuff or sure. but whatever. A painting with plants, I can, because your gardens are beautiful and I, I can see the reflection of your, you know, knowledge of color and art oh, right. uh, reflected in your garden. Well, I have fun with Harry with that because, you know, I can say you've got too much green here. We've got to get this, you know, let's add something. And then he gets very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. So he's getting an education too, which is cool. Excellent. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Now you know what's next. Blitz 5 Live. During this time, I will be answering questions from our community. 
Because this is our first episode, I want to take time to talk to you about who belongs to our community and why we created it, why it's so important. Are you looking for a positive, uplifting community for 50 Ups? Because that's who we are. We celebrate 50 Ups who are living loud, living long, with authentic stories of real people who are creating the life they want. They're career switchers, winning athletes, entrepreneurs, and creatives. You are our tribe. This is our community. We are a tsunami wiping away outdated ideas of who we are. We give voice. We give visibility. We give community. We are learning, sharing, changing, vibrant, healthy, and strong. If that's you, you belong with us. It was great spending time with you today. And I can't wait to spend time with you again next month with our new guest. If you enjoyed our talk, support our work by subscribing to our podcast, becoming a member of L4 Living Loud Living Long at livingloudlivinglong.com and donating to our patron account so we can keep bringing you awesomely inspiring people. See you next month. Check it out, take it down, see that I